Hello, and welcome back to Wandering the Edge, a podcast about Ukrainian history without a spot of travel. I'm your host, Larissa, and today we'll be ending this sort of religious trilogy with looking at an imprisoned cardinal and successor to Metropolitan Andriy Sheptitsky. But first, a caution to please mind my language, as I do tend to swear a bit, and of course, the usual introductory remarks. If you are listening on Podcast Addict or Apple Podcast, please leave a review or just rate it. You can also find us on a number of streaming sites, including but not limited to Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and of course, the website wanderingtheedge.net, where you can check out any of the previous episodes and sources. Well, I was going to have a nice little talk about some great churches in Lviv to visit from the main military cathedral to the Boyam Chapel and finally the Armenian Cathedral, which are all pretty great examples of how Ukraine is at the cusp of East meeting West. But, well, you know, fuck Russia. Also, because I had to take out that bit, this episode is a bit shorter. But now, let's talk about one of the greatest religious leaders of the 20th century, Patriarch Yosef Slippy. So, unlike his mentor, uh, Andriy Sheptitsky, who I talked about in the previous episode, Yosef Slipe was not from a noble family. This was unique, as it was usually well-off sons that would join the priesthood, especially if they weren't the eldest son and needed some career path. He was born on February 17, 1892, in Zastrist, in what is now the Tonopil Oblast, to a family of farmers. Now, we don't actually know when he began school, but he believed it was probably around 1898-99, at the age of 9 or 10, he was sent to a neighboring village that had a four-grade school and included the German language courses, but still had a, a very Ukrainian character. Now, it might have been due to the fact that his schooling days were spent under various empires and countries that his linguistic knowledge was so diverse. This is how Yaroslav uh, Pelikan described it, and I used his work Confessor between East and West um, the most in the research for this episode. Quote, that village where he was born was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Ternopil, on the other hand, where he attended gymnasium or high school between 1903 and 1911, from age 11 to age 19, had for a brief time at the beginning of the 19th century been part of Tsarist Russia. With the breakup of the Austro-Hungarian Empire at the end of the First World War when Slippy was 26, the city of Lviv, where he attended seminary and later functioned as professor, rector, and metropolitan, was the site of the proclamation of the West Ukrainian People's Republic, end quote, and then became a part of Poland. All in all, he knew Latin, French, Greek, Italian, Polish, Ukrainian, and I think a little bit of English. The Germans served him well in Innsbruck, where he completed his university studies, and the Latin was good during his studies at the Pontifical Oriental Institute. Pontifical? Pontificial. I don't know. Uh, the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas and the Pontifical Georgian University in Rome, where he stayed from 1920 to 1922. He was ordained on June 30th, 1917, but he admitted that he never wanted to be a parish priest. 
He always wanted to join the priesthood, but in a scholarly role, more so than a pastoral one. He even said he wanted to be an aristocrat of the spirit. He was also additionally unique because he received a Western theological education and even wrote his dissertation not only on the New Testament, but also about relations between East and West, in which he espoused the theology of Thomas Aquinas, a medieval Italian monk theologian, 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 who embraced the ancient Arist- who embraced the ancient Aristotle, sorry, and apparently argued that God was a source of both light of natural reason and the light of faith. I don't know what that means because, well, I sucked at political theory and it apparently hasn't changed much. Anyway, he's an important philosopher because of his teachings on ethics or something. Now, the man who saw Slippy's potential was Metropolitan Andriy Sheptitsky, who noticed the young seminarian in Lviv and directed him to Innsbruck. This was how Slippy described this meeting, quote, Already in the in the gymnasium and after that in the university, I dreamt of becoming a university professor, except that I thought that this could be an impediment to my priestly vocation. But when my predecessor, the servant of God, Metropolitan Andriy Sheptitsky, to whom I disclosed the intimate secrets of my soul, sent me to pursue higher studies in Innsbruck, that decided the destiny of my life as a priest." For this I am grateful to him from the depths of my heart, as much as I am to my own parents. End quote. Now Joseph returned to Lviv as a professor of dogmatic theology at the Lviv Holy Spirit Seminary, but increasingly began working with Sheptitsky on theological reforms. So much so that he eventually stopped his work on dogmatics and medieval philosophy. Soon Sheptitsky turned toward the young priestly professor to head the seminary as its rector. Now, this was a bit of a controversial move, as the seminary was run by the Basilian Order of Monks, and this would lead to problems with them in Sheptitsky's later life, or sorry, Slipe's later life. But Slipe soon reworked the administrative structure and set up new regulations. In this way, he managed to build up the education of the seminarians by insisting that the professor's teaching had high scholarly standards like those equal to European universities. He did note that the Ukrainian spirit was not congenial to running a tight ship, which, uh, yeah, yep, yep. So, uh, he was pretty unobservant there. Now, seeing the progress of the seminary under Slipe, Sheptitsky would soon appoint him the rector of the Lviv Theological Academy, which is now known as the Ukrainian Catholic University. The academy would soon become the only legal higher education institution under the Polish uh, Second Polish Republic. It would also gain international recognitions with its two faculties, theology and philosophy, which were staffed by outstanding Ukrainian scholars. They even had plans to establish a faculty of law and a medical school, but this was disrupted by the Second World War. It was also one of the only avenues for many students to get into European universities, as Polish universities didn't acknowledge the academy's credentials. He also became a part of the Ukrainian Catholic Union, the Shevchenko Scientific Society because of his theological research, a member of the supervisory board of the Lviv National Museum, and part of the Ukrainian Scientific Theological Society, which accepted both clergy and laity into its fold. As I mentioned earlier, 
Metropolitan Andriy Sheptitsky had a great influence on Slipe. He not only saw Slipe's potential, but did everything to get him to flourish. For a more detailed analysis on the man and his influence on Ukrainian history, just listen to the previous episode. Now, Sheptitsky, by the late 1930s, sort of knew he needed to plan a succession strategy, and so wanted to acknowledge Slipe as his successor. However, the Polish government told Rome that they knew Sheptitsky wanted to appoint Slipe as the auxiliary bishop for the Dviv Archeparchy, that's it, with the right of succession. And the Polish president would veto that because they believed Slipe was too close with the Ukrainian nationalists. Now, I have no idea if this was true. The Soviets certainly also believed it as they, they demanded Slipe before his arrest after the war that if he didn't tell the Ukrainian insurgent army to stop their fight against the Soviets, he would be arrested. But back to the pre-war years. Now, we do know that there was a relationship between the church and the nationalists, obviously. Sheptitsky also had a working, if not heavily strained relationship with them. However, he delegated Slipe to be his archbishop co-adjutor to represent him when the Ukrainian nationalists declared independence with the arrival of Nazi Germany into Western Ukraine in 1941. The reason why Slipe could be named to that position is because Sheptitsky secretly consecrated him to the bishophood in 1939, and it was in 1941 that this was revealed. Slipe's position during the war was basically as a representative of his metropolitan, especially toward Ukrainian organizations that were legally or illegally created under the Soviet and German occupations. Sheptitsky would pass away in November 1944, and Slipe was now the metropolitan of the Greek Catholic Church. When the Soviets came back in 1944, however, there was an initial hope that the church would be left intact, and I will let Slipe describe it from a 1963 report. Quote, it was in the autumn of 1944, that is, some months after the second occupation of Western Ukraine by the Soviets, the representative of the Soviet government in Lviv insistently suggested to me that I seek for an official leg, leg, oh my God, for an official legalization of the existence of our church in the USSR, saying that this was what the members of other religious dominations had done. After having consulted with expert persons in whom I had confidence, I sent a delegation to Moscow to obtain the legalization of our church from the Soviet government. In Moscow, this delegation was accorded with very good, a very good reception. Stalin recognized our church with my person as its primate. This official recognition was published in the notice on the pages of the journal Pravda in December 1944, end quote. However, Stalin changed his mind in March of 1945, and there was open hostility and harassment against the Greek Catholic Church as the plans to abolish the church and incorporate it into the Russian Orthodox Church began. And so at around 7 in the evening on April 11th, 1945, just as Slipe had stepped out onto the balcony of the Metropolitan's Palace in Lviv to observe the planet Mars in the night sky, the plaza below him began, began being filled up with guards, cars, and a large number of police. A Soviet colonel brought him his arrest warrant, and he was escorted out like some kind of common criminal, out of his home in the seat of the Metropolitan of Lviv, St. George's Cathedral. He would later recall how he felt, quote, 
You know very well that they arrested me under cover of night, took me under the cover of night to Kiev, without anyone knowing where I had disappeared to. The Greek Catholic faithful were ready to pledge a collection of a million rubles for my liberation. I was judged in secret and by night behind locked doors and without having a lawyer or a defense, end quote. Slipe was accused of collaboration with the Nazis, sentenced to forced labor and exile, again in fucking secret in the stupid patriarch of Moscow, some Alexei guy, then circulated a letter to the clergy and faithful not only accusing Slipe, but now the dead Sheptitsky and the Vatican as accepting Hitler's yoke. The arrest of not only Slipe, but all of his bishops was condemned by Pope Pius XII, and he additionally condemned the communism as a whole along with Alexei individually who was a Soviet lapdog as early as 1927 when he signed a statement of loyalty years after his own arrest and imprisonment and said that Stalin always had a benevolent attitude to church needs. Funny, since Stalin hated the church and killed most of the Orthodox clergy. Also, Alexei was then also heavily criticized by his own priesthood for being too close to the Soviet leadership. So great guy all around. So now, with the Metropolitan and their bishops imprisoned, the Soviets decided it was time to completely destroy the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. For the Soviets, the church represented uh, reactionary feudalism and Ukrainian bourgeois nationalism, and so wanted it destroyed. Now, there was precedence for the abolishment of Greek Catholicism, since that's what Saw Nicholas I did when he believed it was an artificial, Vatican-inspired, anti-Russian creation to undermine the only true Orthodox faith. Another example of how Russian imperialism never really changes. The other issue was that only one Orthodox church was acceptable to the Soviets, seeing as they could and did control it. And it was in 1944 that the other Ukrainian autocophilous church came under the jurisdiction of the Moscow Patriarch, and thus one Orthodox faith. Now, with the Greek Catholic bishops all arrested, the so-called Initiative Group of the Reunification of the Greek Eastern Rite Catholic Church, it's a long-ass title, was set up under the leadership of Havreli uh, Kostelnik, Kost- oh my god, Kostelnik, that is a priest and former close friend of Sheptitsky. In March 1946, the initiative convened a so-called synod in Lviv, which about some 200 priests then voided the 1596 Union of Brest, even though no actual bishop was present. Now, for more information on the Union of Brest, please listen to the first of the so-called religious trilogy, which was about two episodes ago. This, therefore, subordinated the Greek Catholics to the Russian Orthodox Church. And out of about 3,000 Greek Catholic priests, over 1,100 submitted to the Russians. Another 1,600 were imprisoned, while the rest went underground. Now, of the three ringleaders of the so-called Synod of Lviv, Mihailo Melnik and Antonin Pavletsky, became Orthodox bishops, while Kostelnik received a high position but not the bishophood because he was married. Sleepy heard of this and called it the Pseudo-Synod of Lviv organized by the KGB. 
which was pretty correct and obviously condemned the entire thing as a farce. Again, pretty fucking true. Anyway, with CP and the Gulag and the church persecuted, the Greek Catholic Church became a church of silence, which only came out of its silence after Ukrainian independence. Sleepy quickly realized the entire farce of his own imprisonment when one of his interrogators asked him if he's ever been to Rome, which he was because of his university studies and everyone fucking knew that. So when Sleepy answered yes, the officer then shook his head and said, Rome, Rome, like it was some big secret everyone was keeping. Sleepy then realized that, quote, that my Catholic faith is the reason for my being persecuted in the concentration camps, end quote. And then he was told that he was basically standing in for Sheptitsky because it was the old metropolitan who apparently committed crimes against the Soviet Union, but since he was dead, they used Sleepy. He was sentenced to the Gulag, but not for any actual length of time. The Soviets just reapplied punishments when one was going to end. So Sleepy's time in the Gulag was pretty horrible, as you can imagine, but he was and he had endless patience and endurance, and he never managed to go into deep despair or, or become sullen. One fellow campmate, uh, Abraham uh, Shiftin, wrote that Sleepy had, quote, personified calmness and human dignity, and by your kindness and sympathy, by the feeling of hope that emanated from you, you helped your campmates to withstand the suffering and not to fall into despair, end quote. Uh, Shifrin was in the gulag because he was a Jewish nationalist, by the way. Even one of his guards grew frustrated with Slipe due to his in- in de- um, demeanor and during one of his interrogations, threw his inkwell and screamed that Slipe had, quote, a set of nerves on him, end quote, and that while most men age in the camp, Slipe was sheer light. But the almost 20 years of imprisonment, he would recite the liturgy every day, usually from memory. Uh, he would try to lead his congregation, but if that was impossible, he would do it alone in a corner. When he was thrown into solitary confinement, he would carry out an individual religious retreat. When someone gave him some raisins, he made wine for the Eucharist. He would take confessions from fellow prisoners, and he even ordained some fellow prisoners into the priesthood and even secretly consecrated a bishop. During his imprisonment, he constantly maintained his apolitical stance and even declined to join a political hunger strike, but always maintained his Ukrainian identity. He also maintained his scholarly pursuits and even debated with Yaroslav Haran, one of the Soviet authors of the state's anti-clerical and... um, atheistic creeds and i guess when you're in a prison system things get pretty monotonous and so even his own interrogators told him he can begin writing a history of the church beginning with saint andrew and not Voldemort the great i think it was because of this that he managed to get a hold of several books like the works of french philosopher Etienne gilson he would then use these books to lecture the other prisoners about the history of philosophy which might have been a welcome relief to the shit that they were going through. Gilson, by the way, found out about this and even wrote a letter asking for his release in 1961. Also, there's a bit of my my research about how he had to attend Marxist ideology lectures in the camps. And he would always feel let down because they were led by, quote, nonsensical and poorly educated idiots, end quote. His words, not mine. 
I think if they got some Marxist scholar to lead these things, Lipe would probably far more be far more inclined to discuss and debate. Anyway, he created some extracurricular activities for himself during his gulag time. For example, he collected samples of exotic flora and sent them to the Shevchenko Scientific Society. And in 1953, he was somehow allowed to go to the Lenin Library in Moscow. I guess it was during another interrogation period. And it was through this that he worked on a four-volume history of the Universal Church in Ukraine, which was then quickly confiscated by the KGB and destroyed. So, yay. Now, his release came as a surprise. It was basically done by an impossible triumvirate of the President of the United States, the Pope, and the Premier of the Soviet Union. Now, John F. Kennedy, the President of America, was a Catholic, duh, and Nikita Khrushchev, the Premier of the Soviet Union, clearly was not. Now, I don't know how Kennedy found out about Slipe's imprisonment, but he basically worked some political maneuverings to get him released. I'm fairly sure that it was also the diaspora's pressure both on the Pope and the President that managed to get this outcome. As even in 1960, the Metropolitan of Winnipeg, Maxim Hermanyuk, would constantly demand Slipe's release in any discussions he had with papal authorities. However, the Pope also had to settle his Ukrainian flock, as they felt he had been ignoring them while trying to court the Russian Orthodoxy during the all-important Second Vatican Council in 1962, in which the Pope invited the Russian Orthodox clergy to observe their discussions, and the Ukrainians were shocked, since the Russians were basically just puppets of the KGB and the state. Which, as history repeats itself, the same can be said about this current pope's attitude to his Ukrainian flock. And so after the Cuban Missile Crisis, when both the Soviet Union and America needed something to simmer tensions, the pope brought up the release of Slipe. Kennedy sent Norman Cousins to his, as his unofficial intermediary to Moscow to discuss issues with Khrushchev, including averting nuclear war and the release of Slipe. Here's a private report of that meeting, quote, Here Khrushchev used about 15 minutes to explain thoroughly the case of Bishop Slipe, whom he had known. He had followed his case personally from 1940 when he was president of the cabinet of Ukraine. He gave a detailed history of the religious events in Ukraine, expounding thoroughly the political questions around the figure of Slipe's predecessor, His Excellency Bishop Prince Sheptitsky. Later, he would say, I do not know where Bishop Slipe is now, nor whether he is alive or not, but I shall deal with the matter and have his case examined, end quote. After Cousins pressed further, Khrushchev stated, quote, that I will have the case examined, and I do not exclude a release, provided that there are guarantees that nobody will make a political case out of it. I had other enemies too, and one more in freedom won't make me afraid, end quote. Now, the Russian Orthodox Church and the Kremlin at first were against this, but were assured by the, by the Vatican that Slipe's release would not be abused politically. And on January 18, 1963, Cousins received news that Khrushchev decided to release Slipe without a new trial, and two days later, Pope John XXIII had a rosary delivered to Slipe upon his release. Slipe was taken to Moscow and then to Vienna via train with papal and American representatives, and then traveled to Rome. He was 
basically forced into silence and wasn't allowed to talk about his imprisonment. And so there's not that much information from Slipe himself about those years. He accepted this mainly because he didn't want to endanger the other prisoners in the gulag system. But he did write a memoir and kept every single letter anyone ever sent to him, including those from other political prisoners. So that's how we get a small glimpse of actually what actually happened. So even during the interwar years, Slipe always knew that literature and scholarship were important elements in not only religious life, but also in the spirit of the nation. He believed that a Ukrainian university would benefit from this and was convinced that anyone pondering the state of the Ukrainian church at home and abroad would want that type of university. When he was released, he realized that this university was now impossible in Ukraine itself, but not in Rome. And he took it upon himself to get his fellow Ukrainian bishops to agree with him. He anticipated it would cost about 500,000 American dollars to create. At first, they created a scientific institute for Ukrainian scholarship. Then they reinstated the scholarly theological journal called Bohoslavia, and then elevated the St. Josephat Seminary into a pontifical institution. But papal authorities didn't really want this. But, well, too bad, so sad. And the Ukrainian Catholic University in Rome was refounded in 1963. And Sipe insisted that once Ukraine gained independence, the university would relocate back to Lviv, which it did. He also bought and rebuilt the Saints Sergius and Bacchus Church and converted it for Ukrainian Catholics, and also built the Santa Sofia on Via Bocchea Cathedral in Rome, which had various mosaics, including one of St. Thomas Aquinas. Slippy's favorite philosopher. Slippy was also against the so-called Latinization or Americanization of his clergy and so wanted to preserve as much of their Eastern identity as possible. That is why he refused to wear the Vatican cardinal garb and would always wear the traditional Byzantine style. Slippy also believed that, that what would affirm the Ukrainian church's identity and distinctive character was the proclamation of the patriarchal title. Now, in very, very simple terms, Patriarch is like a mini-pope. He is the representative of all Ukrainians at the Vatican. So, Slipe, for Slipe, it was an ordinary title of the church, as it was very common throughout the East, but the West had no idea what the hell it was. But he had historical precedence on his side, so... There have been patriarchs in Kiev, one of whom was the Orthodox Metropolitan Petro Mohila, who said, quote, that if I could be patriarch, I would acknowledge the Pope, end quote. However, Slipi had his opponents in this matter. He also had an unfortunate way of presenting accomplished facts when, in fact, they were just musings on his part. Anyway, when he began on this patriarchal path in 1964, he had two main opponents. The Basilian Order, because of his taking over that seminary in Lviv way back in like the 1920s or something. And the Ukrainian Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Now, Slipe silenced the Basilians as their institution at St. Josephat's in Rome was technically under his authority as metropolitan, and they couldn't overrule him. And he worked around the Archbishop Ambrosi's um, senition when he received news that he would be designated as an assistant at the pontifical throne for his opposition to the patriarchy. Basically, Slippy 
did whatever he wanted and asked for permission only after the fact. Major Archbishop, Major Archbishop Joseph Slipe proclaimed himself Patriarch of Kiev and Halic in 1974. And while never gaining that recognition, that recognition officially from the Pope in Rome, his Ukrainian clergy and faithful recognized him as such anyways, because, you know, we don't listen to authority that well. However, he did get the next best, best thing when Pope John Paul II recognized the Synod of Ukrainian Bishops in 1980 as a legitimate patriarchal structure, so a sort of like an in-between agreement. Additionally, the Second Vatican Council, all the way from the early 1960s, helped him in this position as it recognized the right of Eastern Catholic churches to preserve their distinct character, the patriarch being one of them. Plus, the majority of the Ukrainian diaspora also supported this move because they believed they were being discriminated against due to the patriarchal existence of smaller Eastern Catholic churches like those of the Coptic, Syrian, and Armenian ones. It was also that diaspora mainly in the figure of Archbishop Metropolitan Maxim Hedemanyuk from Winnipeg, that helped Slipe, as Hedemanyuk explained that the Ukrainian diaspora was being alienated by the Holy See, was being internally rocked by the revolt of the American bishops against Slipe, and there were even requests for a separation from the Catholic Church. It was with this understanding that Slipe then began to travel. A lot. Between 1968 and 1970, he went to Canada, America, Colombia, Venezuela, Peru, Argentina, Paraguay, Brazil, Australia, New Zealand, Germany, Spain, Portugal, England, France, Austria, India, and Malta. This was a man who was almost 80 years old and spent 20 years in a gulag. I am not that and I get tired of flying from Canada to Europe. He also spent time meeting with his flock and especially with the youth of that flock. I know that he consecrated a chapel at the youth camp here in Ontario while he was here, for example. He also spent time on radio and television and would use his title of patriarch as a way to unite his people and be a representative of them on the world stage. The Pope heard Ukrainians through his voice. There is a random link between Slipe and Hollywood, of all places. Slippy was one of the inspirations for Australian writer Morris West's work called The Shoes of the Fisherman. The book was a New York Times bestseller in a post-Cuban Missile Crisis Cold War world of 1963. And so Hollywood took an interest. In 1968, the film version was released, which starred Anthony Quinn as the pro uh, protagonist, the Metropolitan of Lviv, who was freed by the Soviet premier, played by Laurence Olivier, after 17 years in a gulag, who then becomes elected pope. It was also nominated for two Academy Awards, and I think it's available on Amazon Prime? I'm not 100% sure, though. Yosef, uh, Patriarch Yosef Slipe died in Rome in 1984, never seeing his homeland after his release 20 years earlier. His remains were reburied at St. George's Cathedral in Lviv in 1992 after Ukrainian independence. I do want to end this episode with something Slipe wrote in 1961 to Nikolai Podgomi, the first secretary of the Ukrainian Communist Party and then the chairman of the Presidium of the Supreme Soviet of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. My god, these people like their freaking long-ass titles. And he was also Slipe's captor. Quote, We are not in an academy of sciences. 
on an equal footing, for in every respect we are incomparably different in size. You are a minister of state, and I am a prisoner, without any rights whatsoever. I am a scholar, not a politician, and I am the Metropolitan. You are not a scholar, but a political leader, and you are the one who has all the physical power in his hands. Some of you are waiting until we all we Greek Catholics die out. But that is a vain expectation. The church abroad is still strong. Here at home we ourselves shall die off, and all of you will die off too. But the Greek Catholic Church will endure in the catacombs, unquote. And it did, while the Soviets did not. And this can be said about Ukraine too. Ukraine will live. Russia might not. And that is all for this trilogy on the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church history. And because Russia is attacking Ukraine and we need help, please donate to any humanitarian aid relief you can. I've also posted some on my website, some suggestions. And also, please take up the call and ask your local representatives to help Ukraine in any way they can. Send us weapons. Now. Send all of the weapons. So that our people can defend themselves and kick out the Russian fascist invaders once and for all. As always, please remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at WanderEdge Ukraine. Check out our website, wanderingtheedge.net, for source information and other interesting extras. And if you're listening to me on Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict, please rate and leave review and leave a comment about anything. And if you're listening on all the other streaming sites, thank you very much. And of course, happy wanderings, my friends, and Slava Ukraini i Heroim Slava. Thank mm-hmm. you.